Man, when you hear a song like that, you think you'd be energized to get up here and preach, and I'm just saying, no, let's just keep me in the pew, and y'all just keep singing. Man, (laughs) one of my favorite hymns right there. Well, today we are continuing in our It Builds Character series, uh, but we are switching up the gospel. So if you will, instead of going to the book of Matthew, where we've been at, go with me to the book of Mark, and we're going to be in Mark chapter 9. And before we dive into scripture, I want to tell you guys a story about a shipwreck that happened between two ships. It was in the summer of 1986. Two ships collided in the Black Sea off the coast of Russia. And hundreds of passengers unfortunately died as they were hurled into the icy waters below. And news of the disaster was further darkened when an investigation revealed the cause of the accident. The cause of the accident, the article said, it was not technical problems like radar malfunction. It wasn't even bad weather, such as fog or a storm. No. The article read, the cause was human stubbornness. It wasn't a radar malfunction. They knew the other ship was coming. It wasn't a storm where they couldn't see each other. It wasn't fog. No, the article said the cause was human stubbornness. Each captain was aware of the other ship's presence nearby. Both could have steered clear. But according to the news reports, neither captain wanted to give way to the other. Each was too proud to yield first. By the time they came to their senses, it was too late. The article read, their pride caused the collision and caused hundreds to die. Because they were too proud, hundreds of souls perished. Their pride got in the way. And I was doing some reading this week about pride and humility and As you read it, pride is an interestingly dangerous human trait. One writer, David Rhodes, said this. He said, pride is the dandelion of the soul. Its roots go deep. Only a little left, it said, behind can sprout again. Its seeds lodge into the tiniest encouraging cracks. And it flourishes in good soil. Listen to what the writer said. The danger of pride is that it feeds on goodness. You can have good intentions, but pride, oh, it feeds on that. You can think that you're good, but if you allow pride to set in, it's going to feed on that. And we've been talking about becoming people of godly character, and talking about becoming people of godly character, from my experience, I have never met a person that I would consider godly or someone who possesses a godly character who at the same time is full of selfish pride. Think about the most godly person that you know. Are they also prideful? I would venture, now this is an assumption, and I don't like making too broad of assumptions, but I would assume not. From my experience, the most godly people are usually the most humble and the most caring. From my experience, 
Selfish pride and godly character cannot and will not ever go hand in hand. Selfish pride and godly character are polar opposites. Lean to your neighbor and say, they don't go together. Church, selfish pride and godliness cannot go hand in hand. Another, another writer said this, and here's what I want you to know about pride. I absolutely love it. It says that pride is, a, is the only disease that makes everyone else sick but the one who has it. I love it. That's probably my favorite saying about pride. Pride is the only disease that makes everyone sick but the one who has it. Probably because they're too prideful to admit that they're sick, right? And I ask you to think about somebody that you know who is godly. I'm not going to ask you about if you've ever met somebody who's prideful. Probably get a few more heads nodding, right? Especially not on Father's Day. I don't want any wives nudging. Or I don't want any kids nudging their dad on, on Father's Day. Who here is prideful? I don't want you to see nudge your dad, right? But pride, it, it, it's a dangerous thing. Pride is the only disease that makes everyone else sick but the one who has it. You can have this terrible disease and, well, not even know it. And I know we joke about it, right? Like I said, don't nudge your dad. I, I know we joke about it. Oh, he's just full of pride. The reality is, though, church, pride is a very dangerous thing, especially when we allow it to enter into our Christian lives. Especially when we allow it to trickle into the church. Did you know that pride throughout the history has infiltrated the Christian life so often and so powerfully throughout, throughout the history of the church? We have turned people away and people have left the faith because of Christian pride. Did you guys know that? Read about it. I'm sure if we'd go around, we could probably think of some stories. I grew, I grew up in church. I grew up in a pastor's home. Trust me when I tell you, I got, I got some stories about Christian pride trickling into the church. And people just leave. You see, we can become so arrogant and so prideful that we become dangerous. Where we're supposed to be helping build the church, where we're supposed to be helping reach the lost, what we end up doing is we do the exact opposite. We become very dangerous because of our selfish pride. People look and say, I don't want any part of that. We become so self-righteous that we end up hurting those who we were sent to help and reach. I told you guys when you first hired me, I, I wouldn't lie to you, right? It's the hard truth. And it's rainy and gloomy outside, right? So I'm, we're, we're allowed to get a little, put a little damper on the, on the spirit. Well, pastor, we just sung a great song. How are you going to do this? Well, church, let me give you some hope, okay? As your pastor who, who dearly loves each of you, who loves this church, I do. I, I dearly love all of you. I don't want this for us. I don't, I don't want this kind of pride to set in in our hearts where we turn people away. And I'm not preaching about this this morning because I think it's happening. That's not, I don't, when I preach sermons, I don't want you to look around like, who's he talking about? And if you're looking around saying, who's he talking about? Maybe God's talking to you. But that's not what I'm doing this morning, okay? That's not why I'm talking about this. The reason I, the reason I, I, I felt God tugging on my heart, talking about building godly character, and I'm preaching this this morning because I don't want this to happen. God doesn't want this to happen. And so take this as a warning. Take this as caution that if I want to be a person of godly character, then I can't allow pride to set in. We've been talking about that godly character or, or continuing to be people of godly character. And in order to do that, we must be aware of the dangers that lie around every corner. 
You see, the enemy, the scriptures, the enemy is like a roaring lion. He's ready to devour you. You see, church, he doesn't want us to grow. Did you know that? We're not, we're not against flesh and blood. We're in a spiritual war. And you, you know what's really interesting? If you look out through the history of the church, the enemy typically, I mean, he has had his moments where the world attacks us. But what he has a tendency to do is kill us from the inside out, right? We talk about persecution and, and, and the world hurting us, but the reality is when you talk about somebody who's been hurt by the church, what you will, what, or someone who's been hurt and, and left the faith, what you'll hear them say is, well, the church hurt me, and the world accepted me and loved me. You see, we're so prideful at times. And pride is one of those major dangers that we have to look out for. And Jesus actually talks about this, and he teaches it to his disciples. So go with me to Mark chapter 9, verse 33. And what we're going to do this morning, I know through this whole series, I believe, what is this? I think it's week five of this. Yeah, week five. That we've, we've been talking about the life of Peter, right? But what we're going to do this morning, if you're okay with it, we're going to give Peter a break. Because we've been, we've been picking on Peter a lot, haven't we? And, 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 you know, a couple weeks ago, we talked about Peter being fearful, right? He was the only one willing to step out of the boat, yet he was willing to step out, and then he became fearful. And then, and then last week when we read the story in Matthew, Jesus looked right at him, right? Because Peter's the guy that always put his foot in his mouth. And, and so when, when Peter's like, well, explain it to us, Jesus looked right at him and said, are you still so dull, right? I mean, Peter gets picked on, and of course, he brings it on himself a lot of the times, right? Like, we know that. But this week, what we're going to do is we're going to take a break from him. And we're going to look at Jesus teaching the 12 disciples. And so because he was teaching the 12 disciples, he was also teaching Peter, right? And as we read this story, we can probably assume that Peter was part or a major part of the discussion that led to Jesus' teaching, right? Because we know Peter. He puts his foot in his mouth. And so the disciples here, are, are they're discussing things amongst themselves. And so we can assume Peter was probably a, a, in the forefront of that discussion. But let's read what it says here. Let's read this story together. And it says, they came to Caper, uh, Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? Now, it's interesting the way that Jesus talks to his disciples, isn't it? Because Jesus doesn't back off of them. If you go to the story in the book of Luke, what you'll see is it said that Jesus knew their thoughts. It said Jesus knew what they were thinking about. In the book of Mark, what he does is he says, he actually asks them a question. So what, what Jesus does is even though Jesus knows his thoughts, what he does is he still asks them anyways. Now I imagine, now being who I am, I imagine Jesus probably did this with a smirk on his face, right? Who here has ever caught a guilty kid doing something, Right? And so you, you walk into the room catching your child do something, and you say, what you doing? Who here has ever done that with a smirk on their face? I know I have, right? I walk into Addison's room. She's doing something Mama said not to do. I walk in, honey, what you doing? So imagine Jesus, if you will, right? They get to the house. They, they're ready for dinner, and the disciples probably think, oh, well, we had a good discussion. Let's go about our business. And Jesus walks in. That's what y'all talking about. And listen to what he says. But they kept quiet. Because on the way, they argued about who was the greatest. They kept quiet because we remember the guilty kid, right? Walking in, what you doing? Oh, uh, nothing. Nothing at all. What do you mean, what was I doing? Imagine the disciples there. They probably look like, a, like 12, you know, these are, these are grown men, right? So probably look like a bunch of guilty kids. Oh, no, no nothing, Jesus. No, I'm going to, don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. Because they were talking about who was the greatest. 
And sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, now, in order for us to fully understand that, that, that part of the story, and for us to really get a grasp, what we have to understand is we cannot look at that part of the story in the, in the cultural lenses of 2021 in America, okay? Because here in America, what we do is we place high value on children. Our children have a voice. Our children are allowed to sit at the table and have a discussion. Our children mean a lot to us. However, in the Greco-Roman world back then that they were living in, the children were a very low value. The children, they, they didn't talk unless spoken to. They weren't allowed to really associate with anything. The children had low standard. All right, the, the children didn't mean much to them until they were older. And so for Jesus, for us to understand what Jesus is about to say here, we need to understand and read it through the cultural lens in which they would have understood this. And so understand that back then, the children held a very low place in society. They did not hold the place that they do in our world today. And so Jesus took the child in his arms, and this is what he said, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Basically, Jesus is saying, I, God in flesh, did not come to serve as an earthly royalty. I came as a lowly person. I came along the lowly road of being last, of being a servant, of being a child. So basically what he's saying is whoever welcomes the, the least of these as he's holding this child in his arms, whoever welcomes the least of these welcomes me. He's saying you got to be, in order to be first, you got to be very last. You got to be a servant of all. Verse 35 is where we're going to be focusing from here on, church. If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. And here's what, what's interesting I want you to notice, okay? Because the way Jesus teaches is so profound that, that a lot of times what we can do is we can just gloss over it and not really notice what's, what's happening. But I want you to notice that, that Jesus didn't rebuke them, right? So it says that they were arguing, right? They were arguing along the road. Who, who's going to be the greatest? Which of us 12 is going to be the best? How many of us is ever going to be the greatest? How many of you ever had that discussion with your, with your siblings, those of you who have siblings in here? Mom and dad love me more. How many of you have ever had that discussion with your siblings? Raise your hand. Come on now. I know every one of us who have siblings have had that discussion. Mom and dad love me more. I'm going to be the one to inherit it. No, listen, that's what they're doing. But the interesting thing is Jesus doesn't actually rebuke them for wanting to be the greatest. He doesn't condemn them for it. Now, Jesus knows that pride is a very dangerous trait. He knows that. He's getting ready to teach them that. But he doesn't rebuke them. His interaction here with his disciples is very intriguing. Because instead of rebuking them, what does he do? He teaches them. He doesn't, he doesn't belittle them. He doesn't say, nah, you're, no, he says, here's what you need to know. You see, God has built into every human heart a desire to succeed at whatever we do. We have desires within us to succeed, right? Raise your hand if you've done this. 
If you have ever started a project, started a school program, started something, and right when you started, you said, I hope I fail. How, who in here has ever said that? Boy, boy, I hope I fail at this. Better yet, I hope I fail the best. I hope I fail before I ever get started. Who here has ever said that? No. Probably not, right? In our hearts, what do we want to do? We want to succeed, right? It's human nature. We have desires to succeed at everything we do. So he didn't rebuke them for that part of their humanity to want to succeed. Instead, what he does is he says, let me tell you the way to actually be great. Let me tell you how you can actually be godly. Let me set the stage for you. The lesson was not about belittling disciples, but teaching them how to be great in the sight of God instead of focusing on the world's standards. Do you see the difference there? He doesn't rebuke them because he knows that human, human desire wants to succeed. So he doesn't say, how dare you want to be successful? You should want to fail. No, he says, if you want to be great, here's what you have to do. You have to look at it through the lens of God, not the world. There's a difference between the standards. We're going to look at that here in just a minute. The world has their standards and God has his standards. And Jesus said, if you actually want to be great, if you actually want to be godly, you can't focus on the world's standards. You have to focus on God's standards. According to Jesus, greatness or godliness is not about seeking to be first. People of godly character, people who want to make an impact on the world through God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, have a willingness to be last. They don't care about being the greatest according to the world. They care about the other person. They care about God's love for the other person. And here's what you have to understand. It's not about getting people to serve you. It's about becoming a servant of all, being willing to serve others. Lay aside selfish pride, reaching out to the hurting, the lost, and the desperate church. You want to be great? That's what it's about. That's what Jesus Christ did. And that's what he's called us to do. He says, if you want to be great, what you have to do is lay aside your selfish pride. Quit worrying about yourself and focus on me. Focus on God and focus on reaching the lost. That's what Jesus did. Jesus left his heavenly realm, came to earth, not as royalty or nobility, church. He didn't come here as royalty. He didn't come here as nobility. He didn't come down and sit on a throne and say, look, this is the world's standards of greatness, therefore, this is what I'm going to do. He came down as a common man, as a lowly servant to serve and to be the sacrifice for our freedom. Church, listen to me. It all comes down to one word. You ready for this? Write this down. It comes down to one word. Service. Who will I be serving? And you have a choice. You will either serve self or you'll serve God. That's what he's saying here. So you want to be first, you got to be willing to be last. In other words, if you actually want to be the greatest, then you need to serve God, not yourself. And so what we're going to do, we're going to do the same thing we did last week. And we're going to do a side-by-side -side comparison. And so self-service. Let's see what self-service looks like. First and foremost, self-service is prideful. It's very prideful. When you're serving yourself, when, you're, when I'm serving me, it's all about me, right? I don't care who I hurt, what I have to do. I don't care who I have to belittle. I don't care who I have to step on. I don't care who dies, who gets hurt, who gets sick. I don't care about any of that as long as I'm number one. And if I'm the greatest, meh, on the rest of y'all. 
I don't care about the rest of y'all as long as it's all about me. You see, self-service is very, very prideful. Who cares about the other person? I don't care if you're sitting in a ditch. I don't care if you're hurting. I don't care if you're sick. I don't care about all that. As long as I have the money, I have the power, I have the greatness, I don't care about you as long as I succeed. The second thing is this. Self-service is not only prideful, it's attention-seeking. Mm. Who is seeing me do this? Look, I am, oh, preacher, I help, but look how good I help. Look, look at me helping them. Look, look, look at me. Look how great I am. Doesn't Galatians actually talk about this? Right? It's about what, what this is, t- attention seeking. It's about seeking the approval of man. As long as I have the Facebook likes, the Facebook shares, as long as, as, long as the church is praising me, then I'm good. As long as I have the approval of man, then I, I must be pretty great. I am the greatest because everyone approves of me. And Galatians 1 talks about it. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? Listen to what he says here. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Self-service is prideful. It's attention-seeking. It's all, it's all about me and, and who's, who, who's patting my back and who's praising me and look how good I look. And thirdly, power hungry. I want all the power. Who is serving me? What am I doing to get ahead? And how are you taking care of me? How are you worshiping me? How can can you serve me better? That's what what self-service is. Self-service is dangerous because it's all about me. But church, listen, people of godly character have not been called to act like this. I mean, look at this. Prideful, attention-seeking, power-hungry. That, that person that I said, think about earlier, that, that godly person, do they fit that side of the chart? Prideful, attention-seeking, power-hungry. That godly person in your life. We have been called to serve God and serve others. Matthew chapter 22 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it means to be in the service of God, church. Jesus points out that true godliness is never found in self-service and pride. The measure of true godliness is how many do I serve? How can I help? That is the mark of greatness in the sight of God. Is how can I be of service? The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what I'm not saying is, you you know, we shouldn't be self-deprecating. We shouldn't hurt ourselves, right? Wednesday night crew, we've been talking, we talked about self-care, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. So we're going to love ourselves a little bit. We're going to take care of ourselves. All right, don't leave here and think, well, I can't take care of myself. No, it's important to take care of yourself too. But you also got to love your neighbor that way. It can't be all about you. And so being people of godly character is this. Serving God is this, church. First, it's humility. Admitting, I'm not perfect. Church, say it with me. I'm not perfect. Wives, you heard him say it. Listen, we're not perfect. All of us need God. 
every one of us. God is the only perfect being. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 4 says, verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. James 4, 6 says, but he gives us more grace. That is what scripture says. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Serving God, being people of godly character is about humility, humbling yourself before God, saying, God, I am not good enough. I can't do this by myself. I'm not perfect. I'm just a sinner, but I'm saved by grace and through the power of God, I can do anything. That's what it means to be people of godly character. It's saying, I can't do it, but I know a God who can. And through him, I can do anything. It's humility. And secondly, it's about glorifying God. It's not attention-seeking. Attention-seeking is all about me. Oh, look how great I am. No, being people of godly character is giving him the glory. Look how good God is. Look at the resources he's given. I get to be a part of that, right? That's something, Scripture says if you're going to boast, boast in the Lord. So I get to be a part of this awesome ministry. I get to be a part of this awesome opportunity. There's nothing wrong with that. If you're going to be proud, be proud in the Lord. Say, look what God has done. It's about giving him the glory. You can be a part of it, right? You get to be a part of it, but about him, giving him all the glory because he's the one that has provided this for us, church. Listen, we have a part to play, but the overall, it's God. I can only do so much. Do you think I can do everything that God has done? Absolutely not. Being a person of God, serving God is about humility and glorifying him. And the third thing, and this is where we're closing, church, it's the Great Commission. So you have humility, you have glorifying God, you have the Great Commission. We all know what it is, Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's about admitting you're not perfect and that you need God. Along the way, it's about glorifying Him, saying, God, without you, I couldn't do any of this. To God be the glory. And because of all that, because, Lord, you saved me, you brought me out of the muck and mire. Because of that, Lord, I'm going to glorify you, and I want everyone else to hear about it. I want everyone to experience the saving grace of Jesus Christ, and therefore, I'm going to go out and do something about it. I'm going to go out and reach the lost. I'm going to go out and talk to my neighbors. I'm going to invite them to church. I'm going to invite them to hear the gospel. Do we see the difference in this church? Self-service pride, attention, seeing power. It may, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to stand here and lie to you. It, it is beneficial. It is here on earth. Sure, you're, you might have material gain. You might get all the attention. You might get all the glory and all the honor, but the reality is all of that stuff fades. What happens when you fall? Hmm, I'm not as great as I thought I was. What happens when the attention is no longer on you? Oh, depression's a real thing, guys. What happens when you lose the power? But guess what happens when we serve God? Oh, church, the reward is far greater than anything that we can experience here on earth. The reward is eternal. And guess what? The more people you, the more people you preach the gospel to, sure, you may not see them get saved, but when we walk through the gates of eternity, we look around. We'll see, we'll see the harvest, guys. It may not be on this side of heaven, but we're going to see the harvest eventually. Church, the reward for serving God is far greater. 
Eternity is forever. We're only here. I think the life expectancy is between 70 and 90 years. And some, some are blessed to live longer. That's a short time compared to eternity. So in that short time, do you, do you want all of that? Sure, it, it's, it's awesome here. Or do we want the eternal reward? And so this is, what, this is what I'm leaving you with. I'm leaving you with a choice that needs to be made. Because I, I can't, as your pastor, though I love you and I love this church and I, and I want to see all of you make the right choice, God has given us a neat thing called free will. And, and I can't make this choice for you, who you were going to serve, whether it's be yourself or God. That's a choice that you have to make. And so my challenge for you this week is to go home or, or right here when we sing our last song, think about that choice. And this is a choice you've got to make every day. Am I going to wake up focusing on myself and what I can get and all the power I can achieve and serve myself? Or am I going to wake up and say, Lord, I can't go through this day without you. I'm going to give this day to you. I'm going to glorify you. And I'm going to do everything I can to reach somebody else. That's a choice that you have to make, church. Am I going to wake up and serve myself? Or am I going to wake up and serve God? And before you make that choice, remember what verse 35 says. If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and a servant of all. Worship team, if you will, come back up. Church, if you will, stand to your feet with us one more time. If you want to achieve greatness, church, if you want to achieve a godly character that mirrors after Jesus Christ, listen to me. You can't do it by serving yourself. It comes by serving God. And you have to make that choice.
will bow your heads with me. Our Heavenly Father, again, Lord, we thank you for everything you've done for us. And Lord, we ask that you forgive us for our selfish pride. And Lord, as we leave here today, I ask that you help us to make the right choice every day. And that is to serve you in humility, glorifying you in every step of the way. And help us, Lord, to cling to the Great Commission, to go out, Lord, and reach the lost and the hurting and the desperate. Help us to do that, Father. And again, Lord, we want to lift up all the fathers that are here and online. Lord, we pray that you just give them a very restful day. And as we leave here today, Lord, I pray for traveling mercies. It is raining outside. So, Lord, help us to make it home safely so we can come back together again. And it's in your glorious and wonderful name that we pray this. Amen. God bless you all. If you want to grab some more donuts for lunch, there are some more over there. I mean, if you want to be a part tonight, there are no more donuts over there. Never mind, there are no more donuts over there. Y'all ate them all. Um, But if you want to be a part of the prayer group tonight, it's at 630 in the sanctuary. God bless you guys.